0: This is To Be Fair NI. The Pills Project podcast celebrating the activists and allies using the law to change lives. In each episode, we'll give you a seat at the Pills table and bring you into our public interest world to give you a sense of the work that we're doing on a daily basis in Northern Ireland. This is part two. Welcome to the second part of our bumper first episode, introducing you to The Pills Project, our podcast, and some of the issues that we really care about. Today's episode is looking at the interconnected systems, the rule of law principles, and civil society solidarity, all those things that combine to create something that we at Pills call the human rights infrastructure We'll talk about why we care so much about this as an organisation, and we'll also hear from someone with real authority in this area, Alison Kilpatrick, who is a barrister by trade, but speaking in her current capacity as Chief Commissioner with Northern Ireland's Human Rights Commission. We're going to dive right back into the conversation with the pills team. Our name is public interest litigation. There's there's no um, list of topics that we work on or that we exclude or that we're limited to. But there were three areas of concern, I suppose, at the beginning of the year when we sat down as a team and had a conversation. And the three areas of climate justice, tackling the hostile environment and protecting our human rights infrastructure are maybe, I don't know what everybody else thinks, but are fair to say that maybe our members or members of the public even wouldn't have necessarily associated with pills at the very beginning.
1: So the reason that we chose the three sort of strategic priority areas as outlined by you Emma is because I think you're right in that our members maybe and others didn't really appreciate that the remit of our work would cover those areas. And we know from working with our members that there are significant issues in these areas, but we weren't seeing the numbers of applications for support come through to match that. So we really wanted to emphasise how much we are supporting in those particular areas and also engaging in developments such as the Illegal Migration Act to ensure that we are skilled up to be able to deal with those applications when they do come in. So that's really the rationale for for choosing those strategic priority areas. And as you have said, Emma, those are not the only areas that we're focusing on this year. It's very much that we will always continue to support any case across the broad spectrum of human rights and equality issues. But those three areas in particular, we think, are under significant attack, really, and that we want to do as much as we can to support challenges in those areas. So we're going to have an episode on each of those
0: three topics and today you're going to hear from somebody in a little while that's going to talk about the human rights infrastructure in Northern Ireland specifically in a bit more detail but Kate had a brilliant idea earlier on this year when we were talking about UK Pro Bono Week and how we were going to highlight that and we put together then a series of blogs and videos about each of these three topics to I suppose take people behind the scenes and go into a little bit more detail about why we thought they were important. Again I'll pop a link to that in the show notes but Kate I know that your video and your blog had focused specifically on the human rights infrastructure. Now that (laughs) is such a wide description and we were even talking before we started to record this about how do you even begin to define that but for our purposes when you were writing about the issues that came to mind to you whenever we say the human rights infrastructure and protecting it can you give people a little bit of a taste as to what they can expect if they go to your blog
2: the human rights infrastructure what we were thinking about that is very much in a northern irish context and the infrastructure that's being developed out of the good friday agreement might be seen as really quite a fragile infrastructure for a number of reasons But it did bring about the Human Rights Act, which brought about the incorporation of the European Convention on Human Rights. Ironically, with so many British authors, they were not enthusiastic about bringing it in previous to that, but it's with us. But our constitutional reality is that a government can shift and change, and a government with a majority can repeal and bring in new legislation. And any government, as a member of an international treaty, is entitled to make that the executive of that government as it is the cabinet. They're entitled to take us out. They don't need any permission from anybody below that. So it's always been and anything we do gain from the state in terms of rights are always dependent on the discretion of any ongoing government. In recent years some might say that our current government are less keen and enthusiastic around human rights I think you only have to look at the numbers of arrests of environmental protesters that have been released through, I think it's the Guardian's investigations, and the way that protest laws have been brought in, where arguably they were not warranted. And I know there are arguments from the police to say they need clarity on legislation, and that's that's fine, but whether we actually needed new layers of legislation when we had things that existed. It's a very small, crumb by crumb, piece by piece, walling in of our rights. And I think we should always be very cautious about it, and very cautious about the consequences even of these very small moves. And that's what we've really been concerned about in terms of the attacks on our human rights infrastructure. The declarations by certain members of the Conservative Party that they are going to pull us out of the ECHR. Very high-level, alarmist, big news plays well to their particular voters, a particular subset of their voters. Yeah,
0: there's an election coming. So.
2: Exactly, there's an election coming. I think the chances of that happening are, are relatively low. Um, certainly, the current Home Secretary, it isn't a priority for him. At but time things, of recording. At time of recording. James Cleverley doesn't intend to do that. And I honestly don't think anyone thought it was ever going to be achieved. What's much more of a problem is that big noise. La 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 la, we're going to get rid of the ECHR. La, la 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 we're fed up of small boats. La 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 la, noise, 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 noise. What's going on in the background is regulations are moving through. Bits of uh, legislation are being implemented. More legislation is being brought, brought through. And there are smaller discussions, these are the big dog whistles, but what's actually going on in the background is much more dangerous to us on a day-to-day basis and far less visible and happens in a much more technical, almost technocratic, I guess maybe is the right way of putting it, manner.
0: And we had been talking I suppose at the start of the year in the same way that everybody had been quite focused on the Bill of Rights Bill and focusing on one piece of potential legislation designed to attract attention but ultimately the fact that that then fell by the wayside doesn't mean that the danger that was contained within that general idea is gone. And I think probably the that was why we wanted to start off with the human rights infrastructure, because it is so woven in to every other topic that we are going to talk about. Rwanda, you know, that's going to come up when we're talking about the hostile environment. When you're talking about how... Place protectors and people who are mobilising around climate action. That's going to come up in our in our climate justice episode. So I think it makes sense probably to start off with this conversation because it's so interwoven with everything else. I don't know if anybody else wanted to jump in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just to reiterate that uh, when we we started to talk about this as a strategic priority, it was at that time that the Bill of Rights Bill was being very considerably pushed by. Dominic Raab at the time. And then when it, uh, I suppose what we saw as a very minor victory of it falling away and getting shelved and being ripped up and whatever else, we were very concerned that it was going to be a case of death by a thousand cuts and the first of which we have seen massively through the Illegal Migration Act. So, I mean, they seem like separate issues, but they are all pieced together um, in terms of these parts that make up our human rights protections Um, and as Kate has mentioned uh, I think there's a large degree of concern that the next area of focus is going to be on climate and environmental protesters or protectors as they call themselves and I you know as I think many of us see them so that's why it's important to look at the overall picture as well as looking at the individual strands.
2: And again bringing it back to a Northern Irish context, and I think it feeds into everything when you look at the Legacy Act and the way that it's taking justice away from families and effectively putting a section of the state beyond the law. If they can do that in the context of a conflict within the confines of the jurisdiction and say, no, you don't need to have any justice, we'll have something else, we'll have something else in place of this judicial system. If they can do it there, they can do it everywhere. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and I think that sort of leads on to another point about so much of this being very England and Wales centric. And so when you look at what's happened with the legacy legislation and it being resoundingly opposed by many, all of the victims groups, but All of the major political parties in Northern Ireland and it still was pushed through Westminster Um, and I think that with threats or supposed threats to the European Convention and the fact that this would actually dismantle the peace process in Northern Ireland um, but it were an afterthought in all of this and that's why it makes it so important that organisations are thinking about these issues from a strategic perspective, and why the work, as we see it, that we're doing here at PILS, is so important in supporting those challenges from a strategic position. Obviously, the the Legacy Act
0: was introduced, and it and it deliberately affects everybody in Northern Ireland but it affects everybody across the UK as well and this was something that we talked about earlier on this year when there were a number of organisations that work in England, Scotland and Wales came to Belfast to an event that we were hosting and that was one of the issues that we were talking about that everybody needs to be Aware of this. Everybody needs to be alert to it. And one of the people that was part of the conversation that we had earlier this year in Belfast is the person that we're going to hear from in a little bit more detail. Now, somebody who has a crucial central role at the very heart of the human rights infrastructure in Northern Ireland, and that's Alison Kilpatrick, who's the Chief Commissioner with the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission, just to set the scene for what people are going to hear. Next, Maria, this is a slightly abridged version of the address that Alison gave. Could you just fill people in on what that event actually was and why we felt it was important for her to be sharing that Northern Ireland perspective with people maybe who aren't working here all the time and are a little bit maybe less aware of the the day-to-day.
1: So yes, Pills was delighted to be the organiser and host of a residential in June this year, uh, which was funded by the Bering Foundation, one of Pills' main funders, and a big shout out to the Bering Foundation for all their support. But we brought together uh, legal hub organisations from across the UK um, to really have time to come together to talk about and to reflect upon two main themes, which were effective litigation strategies and better collaboration. Um, And we were delighted that Alison was able to come and open the conference with her address, um, basically giving a focus to the conversations that were to come and giving an insight to those um, who were from, I suppose, outside of this jurisdiction as to what's been happening here in Northern Ireland. And, you know, I think that the feedback that we got at the very end of the conference showed just how how important that was because we had attendees saying to us things like, I am so sorry, I did not know. And you know, we will not forget you again in these conversations, particularly around um, what was happening in relation to the legacy um, legislation. Uh, So I think it was so important to have that focus and to have the residential here in Belfast, because it is only when we have all of the voices singing from the same hymn sheet about what's happening throughout the UK that we're in a better position to address the issues through our work.
0: So, as Maria mentioned, this speech was recorded at the end of June 2023. So you'll hear Alison make reference to the Illegal Migration Bill and the Legacy Bill. And unfortunately, from a PIL's perspective, both of these pieces of draft legislation have since become law in the UK. And while her address was primarily focused on strategic litigation in Northern Ireland, the state of Northern Ireland's human rights infrastructure was at the forefront of her mind. This is Alison Kilpatrick.
3: It is a great privilege uh, to be here. I have had an association with PILS and it's great to see it going from strength to strength. Uh, What I want to tell you though, as Chief Commissioner of the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission, just what I have at this stage for a short time, is that what you in this room do uh, really is the embodiment of human rights protection. And advancement and we see that at the Commission and we certainly couldn't do anything uh, that we attempt to do without you. I admire your work. I'm amazed you continue to do it uh, with such grace and success and it really has an impact. Uh, the work that's done here, the work that's done in GB and across Europe. I can tell you that I've been at the privilege of traveling a bit recently and it really does hit home across Europe. People talk about this place and about the work you're doing in GB Uh, with great positivity. (coughs) Times are hard. Um, This has never been an easy field of work but I do think it's become more challenging recently. It takes strength to carry on and you deserve more as individual organisations and as a collective. And I I was trying to think about what I was going to talk about and I thought I've got to mention the climate within which we're all operating Across the UK, uh, people like us, although in many ways, I think my job's probably a lot easier uh, now than yours is. But those of us who talk about strategic litigation are accused of weaponising the law and the courts. It's called lawfare, um, isn't that terribly clever? um, Wordplay. But that's that's how it's been uh, turned against people who are trying to achieve something through the law. It's not a compliment. Usually, um, we hear uh, criticism and allegations of lawfare following a case where the outcome has been not to everyone's uh, taste. And we hear, it, uh, I'm just going to move.
1: we hear it a lot here by
3: some of our social commentators and tweeters. But strategic litigation, which has been so fundamental to advancing rights, is no more <coughs> than challenges brought before judicial and quasi-judicial bodies that aim to have a lasting impact beyond that of repairing the harm suffered by the victims. How can that be bad? Politicians, uh, some, not all, uh, social commentators, again some, uh, not all, cue up to tell the public that we as lawyers are a dangerous bunch, whether the do-gooding, naive types uh, who at best waste money on lost causes, or the sinister kind who manipulate and undermine democracy itself. I have to say I've been both and you probably have uh, yourself, but today, as we all get together, we're probably being very sinister indeed. But that's the backdrop against which you have to consider litigation and think about your cases. But it is also, and it, it shouldn't um, frighten you off, but it should make you pause for thought just to remember the, the larger context. I've made many mistakes over the years of strategic litigation that I wish I hadn't taken. Even those lawyers who get to sit in judgment have been called enemy of the people. And you could brush this off. And I think a lot of people I speak to do brush it off. They tell me to, to grow up, get a, a tougher spine. They say it's just wordplay, tomfoolery, or the worst um, I heard, just this is just yesterday, um, it's just swordsmanship. There's something particularly repellent about the notion of that, but um, that's what they told me, that if we can't take this criticism, then we should get out of the arena. But it has a real chilling effect. Uh, and sometimes I don't even recognise it myself. I've had to recognise that it has influenced my thinking in the past and not in a good way. I'm uncomfortable accepting that, uh, but I think I have to be honest about it. The sort of questions I end up asking myself and my fellow commissioners will ask is, if we run this case, what will this person tweet? How will the newspapers react? What will this official or politician do? Will they put me beyond the pale, finally? And you'll recall, I'm sure, Um, Boris Johnson's Conservative Conference speech in which he denigrated, um, in quotes, lefty human rights lawyers. And in doing so, though, um, I know people find Boris humorous, uh, and no doubt they find that humorous, but in doing that, what he's doing is undermining lawyers, judges, and the rule of law itself. He also undermined the very public he was trying to reach, because it's their rights, their challenges, their rule of law that's at stake. Instead, we're distracted by fear. That resonates, unfortunately, with people. People who've been put in fear after decades of this sort of scaremongering. So they hear it and it does work and that's why it's going to continue to be used um, and increasingly, I suspect, over the next few months is why we collectively have to battle against it and support each other against it and in the face of it. I also recall the Home Office tweeting a video it talked of um, activist lawyers uh, and accused them of frustrating the department, as in the Home Department's efforts to support people. Again, they used the words "with no right to remain in the UK." Now, I would just pause to say I don't know how they know that, um, how they have determined whether a person has a right to remain in the UK or not, and I would also just copper fasten my questioning um, of that remark with the illegal migration bill. I suspect most of you have looked at it. If you haven't, you must because it is an absolutely appalling um, piece of draft legislation and if it gets even half uh, the way through, then we're in some real trouble as are our friends who may or may not um, have a right to remain in the UK however they arrived. But anyway, I say that in passing. what, What they do with this is they invite people to think, what could we do, what could government achieve but for these lawyers and their meddling, but for the human rights agenda. You will actually hear but for the Human Rights Act and membership of the convention. All the wrongs they say that could be righted but for these things. And often you hear relish um, with which these insults are hurled around. That's the sort of bleak side of what's going on at the minute. There is hope still and I look around and it's, it's in this room uh, today and I know the outcome of this conference will be to ignite some hope and unite people together but the Law Society published um, research recently exploring public attitudes so if we think the public um, like all of this and some, some do uh, but if we think the public generally do then I would uh, encourage you to go and look at the Law Society's research. What it said was that public support for the rule of law is very high people expressing high degrees of trust in judges and lawyers, sharing the view that the courts underpin fair play. Now in follow-up polling they find that 97% of adults in the UK agreed or strongly agreed with the statement that everyone should be treated equally under the law. 94% agreed to the importance of the UK to be seen as a country which upholds the law. So for those who claim that a lot of this rhetoric is democratic and is simply reflecting um, what their voters think or want, I would suggest they go and look at um, what their voters are thinking and saying. There is, however, and it was revealed in that um, uh, uh, research, a difference in the way the public look at or understand the rule of law, and I it seems like insignificant, but I think this might actually be the crux of it. Rather than seeing it as a matter of high principle that affects each and every one of us, uh, they see it as, and that this was the quote used most uh, often in the research, the rules of the game. And I think that's the real effect. of a recent rhetoric, um, if you cut out some of the more extreme uh, narrative, it's suggesting that it's all up for grabs. He who plays the game better uh, deserves to win. But this is not a game. The rule of law is what protects the fundamental human rights of those who are vulnerable marginalized, unpopular, unwelcome, disenfranchised, detained, harmed. And how does it do it? Ultimately by litigating rights and forcing the state and its public authorities into compliance. And we can talk all we like about guidance, we can talk all we like about training. Sometimes you have to force compliance. and Sometimes that has to uh, be through the courts. Sometimes it's on a very small scale, so small, close to home, uh, that nobody really even notices it's happened. Um, sometimes on a grand scale uh, when the impact is obvious to all, but both are important and both um, must be kept in mind, they can work together. I think Northern Ireland, um, I think Maria mentioned this and and Pils in particular should be very proud, it has done more than its fair share given our size um, of big strategic cases, benefiting Northern Ireland, uh, the UK, and further afield. And I was at a a thing yesterday with former President of the European Court of Human Rights, Robert Spano, who spoke of some of the Northern Irish cases that changed the legal landscape. And he talked about the case of McCann in the UK, which was to do with the duty to investigate following the taking of the life. And he talked about how that was a case that he, whenever he's asked, not just when he's in Northern Ireland, but when he's uh, elsewhere, what was one of the most significant cases for him as a judge and, and he always cites that one. And as we stare down um, the Legacy Bill which is going through Parliament, and I don't know if I think um, Fiona Dougherty, Senior Council <laughs> Leader, is going to be talking about legacy so she'll talk to you more about it. But it's a, another pretty hateful piece of legislation for which there is no support um, in Northern Ireland. Um, this focus on, legis- or on um, strategic litigation in the context of uh, independent investigations of state taking a bribe <coughs> is likely to come to the focus once again and this does affect UNGB as well and in GB some of the uh, most important cases more recent uh, important cases have really made a difference and bought people's support of the human rights act and i think of all those prisoner release cases etc etc so the Human Rights Commission, um, we've been involved in a number of cases. And the way I would put it is, and this is often hard to, I think, ex- even for myself, to get my head right the distinction, but the Human Rights Commission is a creature of statute, so we can only do that which we are actually um, set up to do. So we have to be strategically relevant, and our litigation has to be strategically relevant. But the relevance is to fulfilling our statutory duty, um, which is promoting and protecting human rights. That's a slight contortion, maybe. But we are not permitted, at least, um, we certainly wouldn't last for very long if we were involved in campaigning as a human rights commission and using strategic litigation in that way. But obviously, if it does overlap with a human rights issue, then we can and should be considering it and pursuing it either in our own name, by assisting others, by conducting investigations, etc. and research. You, I think, as given, uh, I had a look at who was on the list, you have a lot more freedom, I think, to litigate on campaign issues, things that you, want to, you really want to change, and you want to see, you want to bring about legal change. Um, so we're slightly confined, but we're very keen to work with you. Um, very keen to add any support that we possibly can. I'm very keen to hear from you. The innovation has to be really, uh, you have to really collaborate in your innovation, particularly with less money around, and we certainly have less money around. And it's not just with your obvious neighbours, the people in this room uh, and partners, but with academics, lawyers, etc. And at a very early stage, that was something I learned, um, again, by mistake. Um, I wish I'd learned it sooner. You need to get people in at a really early stages. If you want a case to to take off and and the person uh, who you will be relying on to stay the course, but also to get the best outcome, just do the best case you can. Some cases out there are going to have very little in the way of prospect of success. You need to talk to each other, choose the one that has the most um, prospect of success and be sure to rally around each other and, and stick to it. So pick the best case you can to run crucial for our integrity um, and in protection of the client's interest, no doubt, but it's also crucial to the justice system. And I've uh, spoken to people over the years who said they've lost um, trust in the justice system because they have engaged in one of these cases and then been left, in their words, hanging um, or felt they'd been um, pushed into something that wasn't in their interest. So we need to also be be wary wary of that. Um, What I also found um, but I'm, I'm sure you'll have um, other experiences and, and can add much more to this than I can. A way to, to, to really better ensure you have your own interests, the strategic interests, and the client's interests um, at the forefront is to collaborate with each other early, but collaborate with other members of civic society. Look at the additional support that's out there and get it on board as soon as you possibly can. There are many people who can support the client in really in ways you would never imagine. And they can support them and keep them involved in the case and in the process. They can also bolster you and support you and help you understand what the issues are. Sometimes the best thing is just to refer a case to somebody else. Just being realistic. It's not for you. You're not the best person to do it, uh, much as you'd like to hold on to things. Um, But give it to somebody who has the experience and who can offer tailored support. I would also say it's really important to remember that at the end of a strategic case, it has to be followed up. Um, but the person who was involved, they need to be kept on board afterwards as well. They need support, and they need it needs to be followed through. Share your cases and experiences, and I know you do this already. And organise um, pills, for example. Here, make sure they. I, I still subscribe to your newsletter and get all your emails. Um, keep up to date with what is going on because you can learn enough a lot. What I'd say about the Human Rights Commission is we're really interested in hearing. So there's lots going on out there that we don't. Um, certainly, I have to confess, I don't know about, and I really do want to know about. <laughs> but for those who are not aware, the Human Rights Commission was set up as the institution post Good Friday Agreement that was going to guarantee respect for human rights across Northern Ireland. But it was going to hold together the people because they're such decent people in the commission. Uh, We've been doing stuff that really none of us are being paid for, Um, certainly not. They're they're more than I should be asking them to do, but there's a limit to that, and we've kind of reached the limit now, I think. Long and short of that was that I had to go to... We are an A-status national human rights institution, the only one. Uh, So the only people who can advise government on what is compatible and what isn't compatible with human rights is the Human Rights Commission. Um, our funding has been so affected, I had to go to the United Nations the accreditation people and tell them that I could not function properly and that my independence had been compromised. Now that started, you can probably imagine, merry hell um, behind the scenes. Uh, so I was certainly not to be rewarded for having said uh, and done that, but I had to tell the truth, it was my view. So we got in a back and forth. Um, we were promised that they would ask the Treasury um, for the money we needed. Uh, that was some time ago. I made them put it in writing. Um, it was put in writing, but I've seen nothing further, so we're still waiting. It's got to the stage, however, that it has really impact, had an impact on our ability to consider certain cases. So what's happening, what the real practical effect is that um, in relation to, for, for, what, for what it's worth, for, uh, given what you're talking about, um, if a case, if somebody approaches this with a case, we may think this is tr- absolutely terrific exactly what the Commission should be involved in, that we can add something that nobody else can. Um, we may not be able to do anything, even a written submission, because we simply don't have budgets to do it. And that's, that's, that's a bit of a shocker. Now, we also wanted to do a further investigation. So we did an investigation recently into relationships and sexual education. Um, we're, you won't be surprised to hear Northern Ireland slightly behind the curve um, in relation to some of this stuff. Uh, but we did our investigation, and that was we had to push and, and, and count every penny down the back of sofas and do a lot of it just for free in house to get that done. And it was worth it, I think. But we can't do a second one. I wanted to go straight into the next one. We can't. Um, but I think the most important thing is that you can't make independent decisions. So I have to actually charge myself to be belligerent and steal myself every morning and go, well, this could backfire, but I'm going to have to. And that shouldn't be we we were set up by um by the state to discharge its human rights obligations and if we're either thinking about what they might do to um if we're too problematic and do a job too well then that just i have to be honest and say we're no longer independent and we're no longer fully fit for purpose that's probably gone and maybe gone longer than you needed <laughs> but it's a fairly fundamental fairly fundamental point and it's it's also what comes you guys as well you know you really do need to be supported and resourced to do your jobs properly because i'm sure you're, you're you know on the same basis there are people who walk in to see you or issues that are brought to your attention i would if i could do anything i would do that i would help that person but we just don't have the uh, autonomy uh, to fund ourselves <laughs>
0: Yeah, so December, usually busy time. But this is probably the the last spare five minutes that everybody's going to have in December sitting down to think. So what are the things that you've got coming up? Any, you know, special pre-Christmas messages to people that we might have?
2: Yes, if you're listening to this and you're a lawyer, especially if you're a lawyer based in the North and we're not excluding anybody, but lawyers based in the North, particularly you're interest in our work, your interest in human rights and equality, in strategic or public interest litigation, and you would like to give some of your time, whether that's to provide opinions, whether it is to provide representation, or perhaps you think of some training that you could provide that would be useful, or research. We really will do anything that puts lawyer skills to the test, and we will try anything out. But do get in touch with us, you can always give us a call, have a chat um, or just register to, to join and be part of the pills project. We'd love to have you on board.
1: So before the next podcast maybe goes out or the next time we get to talk just about pills work, um, we are going to be heavily engaged in a strategic planning process and we'll be looking to the years ahead in terms of where our focus and our efforts will be directed. But one of the things as part of the run-up to our 15-year anniversary is that we have recently secured funding from the Community Foundation for Northern Ireland to carry out research into the public interest litigation landscape in Northern Ireland and we are finalising that tender which we hope will go out before Christmas. So if you're interested in carrying out research into this um, area for both, you know, for pills but also for all of our stakeholders and all of those working um, in this arena – then please keep an eye on our website for details of um, that tender process. Yes, please, mm. Hillary. You're going to Canada, so <laughs> before you do, anything yeah, you want I to
0: mention? In personal news. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're listening to this and you're not a member of Pills, but you're involved in a community group or you're involved. Um, in an organization that's providing support to a particular group of people, please consider applying to become members of PILS. Our criteria is that you're non-governmental and non-party political, and we have organizations comprised in a number of different ways that focus on a number of different issues, and we'd be delighted to speak with you about how we might be able to support you in your work. It's also free to be a member of Pills. You don't have to pay a membership fee. Nothing like that. All the services are free. So there's a form on our website. Again, I'll share the link to that. And there's, if you want to have a look and see what, type of organizations are already part of our membership network that maybe you might have an interest in partnering with or working with as well all of that's on our website too so you can see all of the local solicitor firms and all of the organizations that are already part of our membership network so you can have a look at that
1: too add to what hillary said that if you're a solicitor and yes. yes please and particularly if you're a solicitor not in belfast because uh, mm-hmm. Because of where we're located, and because of being a human rights hub in this city, um, a lot of the applications from solicitor firms for our support tend to come from those solicitors that know us and that are in and around this sort of city centre. But we really do want to make sure that we have a region-wide reach in our work. So if you're in Fermanagh listening to this, or Derry, or anywhere else outside of Belfast, and you'd like to hear more about our work, we're happy to come to you, to your local solicitor's association, to tell you more about our work. Um, But we would love to hear from you as well. Brilliant.
0: Thank you very much, everybody. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to our first episode all about the human rights infrastructure. We'll have more conversations about climate justice and the hostile environment coming up in the new year, so make sure you subscribe to To Be Fair NI wherever you get your podcasts and we'll talk to you soon. To Be Fair NI is a podcast series created by the Public Interest Litigation Support Project scripting and editing of this episode is by me Emma Cassidy stay tuned for more conversations with the activists and allies using the law to change lives in Northern Ireland